0: The Hunter Biden plea bargain deal has collapsed. This happened at a hearing. This hearing was supposed to be a mere formality where the judge just like gives her stamp of approval until the judge realized that she was being played and essentially put a stop to this bogus plea bargain. You cannot make this stuff up. We will bring you all the details. Uh, A listener says that Trump better watch out because a bombshell witness is about to testify in the Biden gate bribery scandal. This could be devastating. Devin Archer, this former business associate, very, very close with Hunter Biden, has some extremely damaging testimony. And coincidentally, well, guess who's about to get indicted again for a third time? I mean, the timing is uncanny. How like every time the Biden scandal gets bigger, every time there's another bombshell, Trump gets indicted and... That's the best possible news for Trump because that's actually bad news for DeSantis and bad news for Mike Pence and maybe for Vivek because every time Trump gets indicted, it's another surge in the polls for him. So, like, meanwhile, the DeSantis campaign is about to implode. They're literally doing a reboot. They have fired one third of their campaign staffers. No wonder they're doing a reboot, DeSantis, because Trump's about to get indicted again. And DeSantis is frantically working with his campaign staffers trying to figure out how to get himself indicted at least once. Trump Trump is already about to hit number three. DeSantis hasn't even been indicted a single time. And by the way, notice that every time, as the listener said, you know, watch your back, Trump, because every time there's a scandal or watch your back, Ukraine. Because sometimes when there's a scandal, when the White House needs to create a smokescreen, it could be an indictment, or it could be Putin invading Crimea or Ukraine, or maybe he'll pick some other. Maybe maybe France is next. They, so who knows who's who's going to be invaded to try to cover up the and distract from the Biden scandal? Except for Iran. Trust me, you have no need to worry. The the one country that Biden will never allow to be invaded is his best buddy, his best friend, the Iranian uh, terrorist regime. All right, so coming up, we're going to get into Israeli judicial reform. Some of you have asked me, you know, that is obviously a very, very hot topic in the news. You've asked me to dive into that, explain what it's all about. No. And let me just say this to the mainstream media. This Number one, Israel is not on the brink of civil war, not even close. This is being so overblown by the media, Israel on the brink of civil war. Hundreds of thousands of protesters. Moody's has downgraded Israel's credit rating. It's bogus. It is conjured. It is fabricated. It is... This whole thing is being made up. Yeah, look, people, some people on the left, some radicals think that judicial, reform, they're terrified of judicial reform because it'll actually remove the dictatorship that the Supreme Court in Israel right now currently holds. They literally have a dictatorship. They can, they can overturn, veto, reverse any legislation, any bill passed by the Knesset that they don't like for, for absolutely with no other basis except that they think it's a bad idea. They think it's not reasonable. Literally, it goes by their personal instinct, their emotions. So it's an insane system. So some people on the left are worried that there's actually going to be a democracy in Israel. So they're going and threatening Netanyahu and making it like like Netanyahu is the one who's anti-democracy when Netanyahu is the one who's trying to uphold and protect the democracy. And the media, of course, is acting like Israel. It's on the brink of civil war. It's just going to implode like the government there is going to collapse. By the way, the government is probably more stable than it's been in years. Remember when they were having like new elections every few months? Now, look how they actually have secured a real majority. And that's why the left is so threatened. So we'll get into that. New poll shows that Trump is dominating the entire field, including Democrats. Trump's dominating everybody. I mean, we've known for many months now that Trump has been dominating the Republican side of things. But it turns out that Trump is now dominating Joe Biden and other Democrats who he's polled against head to head if the general election were held today. So uh, it's like if, if only Trump could get deceased people to vote for him, he'd be a shoo-in. I mean, Trump, all the living people, they, they vote Trump hands down. He has, he has a huge majority. Like if only he could get deceased and illegals. So, uh, that's coming up. President Biden's staffers are grappling with his age. His age is becoming a bigger and bigger crisis By the minute. I mean, every day that passes, Biden is not getting any younger and he's constantly tripping and falling and the blunders and the gaffes. So now his staffers are creating... We're going to read you a a piece from NBC News. It's laughable. I feel like I'm reading comedy. It's it's like Babylon Beyond Steroids. Like the way NBC News... Like they know they have to tackle this. They have to address this. It's the elephant in the room. Biden's age and the fact that his staffers are like making all sorts of bizarre accommodations. But the way they like try to like whitewash it and minimize it. It's hilarious. And we're going to read you some excerpts from an NBC News piece uh, where, you know, where basically the, his Biden staff is doing everything they possibly can to accommodate, to make sure that he doesn't slip and fall and doesn't trip over sandbags and, and just say wacky, wacky things and say ridiculous things and mutter to himself and just make a fool of himself. All right. So the Hunter Biden plea bargain deal. OK, it collapsed in court. This is unprecedented. Be, because it, these things never collect. Once you get to the phase where they're actually doing a hearing, going to a judge about a plea bargain deal, the prosecutors have worked it all out with the defense team. Everybody's on the same page, and it's like they just need the judge to put stamp of approval, rubber stamp. But what happened was, so it's like it's unheard of for a plea bargain deal to get to this point. Ju- the judges have said this. This is not just me talking. You know, so uh, th- th- this is, this is just unheard of where they actually go to court. And both sides agree. It's not like the prosecutors and the defense team have a dispute here. They both agree. Judge Jeanine Pirro on Fox News, she said, once it gets to court, it's a done deal. The judge just signs the papers and away we go. But what happened here was, and I'll try to explain it, there's a lot of legal technicalities, so I'm gonna avoid the weeds as I like to do. And honestly, you know, I'm not even sure that I followed all the, you know, the little legal technicality parts of this. But when you hear the basic gist, it's so obvious what really went on over here. So it fell apart because the judge basically realized the deal was rigged to pretend, to protect Hunter Biden from any future prosecution. And in addition to that, uh, Hunter Biden's defense team—and by the way, Hunter was accompanied by this big motorcade—and people were furious about that. That Hunter Biden uh, was was actually brought to court with a motorcade, with a bunch of Secret Service vehicles and entourage of like six Secret Service SUVs. You know, and uh, imagine if that were Trump's kids. Trump's kids have been to court many, many times because of the bogus uh, things that that they get charged with and everything else—the bogus uh, allegations and testimony and everything else in Russia Gate and. Russiagate and they have never, that I recall, actually been accompanied by Secret Service and a motorcade. But Hunter Biden gets a motorcade. But then when you ask the White House about the allegations and the investigation into Hunter Biden, Kareem Jean-Pierre says, oh, well, he's a private citizen. This is a private matter. This is not a government matter. Well, then why is he being uh, brought to court, delivered to court by Secret Service in a motorcade with six SUVs, by the way, wasting taxpayer dollars? So what happened was they want to number one protect Hunter Biden from any future prosecution, which Judge Janine said is unheard of. She said that you only do that if somebody is like bringing in a drug lord, if somebody's like providing, cooperating with authorities and giving some kind of testimony where they're going to bring in like some major mafia boss or something. Other than that, to protect them, immunize them from future prosecution that doesn't happen for some you know for, for 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 somebody like Hunter Biden and number 2 the defense team wants to ensure that uh, that uh, the crimes that were committed by Hunter Biden the potential future charges that he's going to be immune from remain private so they don't publicize well he's going to be immune from Farrah violations, which means the, you know, that he has to register as a lobbyist and from tax fraud and tax evasion and bribery and all these. They have like a list of charges that he does that that, that he's basically because of this bogus plea bargain deal, which where he's getting no punishment whatsoever. He's going to then be immune from future charges, according if this thing goes through, uh, like including like all these. Huge, huge, scandalous charges. So they don't want those listed. Well, that's not done. You have to list if if you do the. And I'll explain it a little. But if you do the plea bargain deal, you've got to actually list the charges. And the judge was like looking at this. So this was like a massive cover up being done in cahoots. The the prosecution in cahoots with the with the defense team because the prosecutors are complicit here, and they're basically saying, "Yeah, we'll give Hunter Biden a free pass." No, no felonies. He'll just, he'll, he'll just uh, plead guilty to a couple misdemeanors. And then we guarantee him that he'll be shielded from any possible. And it wasn't being reported this way in the media, as I'm going to explain, but uh, that's essentially what went on here, according to the reports that I read. So the judge is like, well, no way. First, the judge is like, okay, so Hunter Biden is. Not going to be immune from future prosecution. And then the defense is like, yes, yes, he is. And the judge is like, no, he's not. And the defense is like, no, no, that's in this document over here. And then the judge starts looking. The judge is like, well, wait a second. But and the judge, starts looking at the list of all the things that he's going to be immune from, which is probably going to be foreign, not registering as a foreign lobbyist and tax fraud and bribery and whatever. And then the judge is like, well, why didn't you list any of that in the actual plea bargain deal? And it's like, well, because... We wanted it to stay private. And the judge is like, but that's not allowed. You can't do that. That's breaking the rule. But, like, like you, you cannot do that. This is on not not done. And the, the judge basically said, all right, forget it. Like, we're just, we're canceling this deal. So let me explain a little bit more because it's a, it's a drop complicated. But um, essentially the judge gave them 30 days and said, go back, sort this out, come back to me in 30 days. This is a Trump-appointed judge. And the judge is like... You guys want to do something here which is unprecedented, unheard of, where, number one, you want Hunter to be basically immune from every, everything under the sun, including future prosecution, not just past charges and current charges. Number two, you want to keep it hidden. and You don't even want to list them on the public record. No, 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 no. We don't do that. That's not done. There's no there is no way legal means to do that. Go back to the drawing board. And at that point, Hunter Biden's team had no choice but to plead not guilty. This is just astonishing. The drama here. So, all right, there are two unprecedented things happened over here. Number one, plea deals never fall apart, like I said, and number two, they they never protect you from future pro, uh, prosecution, like I said, unless you're bringing down a drug lord or El, you know El Chapo or uh, John Gotti or Al Capone or that sort of thing. And number two, you know, they only give you immunity from what you whatever you're pleading guilty to at that moment, which which here is like a gun charge, is you we've told you about the gun, or you lied on the gun license. Application and so and some kind of like minor tax evasion misdemeanor, wh- which he 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 committed like major major felonies when it comes to tax fraud that he's not getting not pleading guilty to. So the judge realized that the prosecutors, the prosecutors, not the defense, the prosecutors are protecting Hunter Biden because the because the whole system's rigged, and he's you know he is allegedly guilty of these massive massive felonies, and they have enough incriminating evidence possibly to send him to jail for decades, so they want to cover it up. So the judge says. Well, if you guys want to, you can do that. That can be done where they protect them from future prosecutions. But the way they do it is they have to list the charges. But essentially the way it works is they created like two separate deals. There's one deal, there there are two types of flea bargain deals. There's one deal where you list, where, where, where you can protect him from future charges, but then that has to be publicly listed. And then there's another deal where you don't have to list things, but he's not protected from future charges. It's just like recommendations, but it can be overturned. So they wanted both things. They wanted it to be a guarantee that he's protected from all future charges, but then if it lists the charges, they don't want to list the charges. So then they had that done as part of a separate deal where it's listed privately, but not publicly. And the judge is like, no, 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 you can't do that. You want to protect him from future Future charges, that's fine, but and again, it depends on which report you read. But that's what I read at first. Like the way they were reporting this, you, you guys are thinking, where I didn't hear this. I didn't read this." The way, the way they were reporting it, the first was Hunter Biden's team, defense team, uh says they're backing out of the plea bargain deal because they want to protect it from all future charges, and that's and, and and that's not what the deal says. But the problem with that is it makes no sense. That that version where it's like, well. I thought it was going to protect me from the future charges, and it's not, so we're backing out of the deal. You think that they never discussed it. The defense team and prosecutors, they spent hours, weeks, months probably hashing out this deal, working out all the final details, every single, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T, and you think they come to court and they don't know what's in the deal? So that part made—that's why people who are are aware of the actual details of what went on in the courts— Said that can't be. That can't be what went on. Is they suddenly woke up and said, "Wait a second, we didn't think about the future charges." They, they always hash that stuff out. So what really happened was it was the judge. They were trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the judge. They figured the judge would just kind of skim through the document. Oh, listen, prosecutors, federal prosecutors, Hunter Biden, president's son, everybody agrees. So what am I supposed to do? I'm gonna like go and like challenge them. Like uh, that, that's gonna make me look bad. And they didn't realize they underestimated the judge. And the judge looks reads through it all, and judge like makes no sense. Well, I, how'd you set this up? He set up oh, this way, but he set up. That way, then you can't you can't do this. You guys broke all the rules. Go back to the drawing board. Start again. And the judge just shocked and stunned this uh, the 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 defense team and the prosecutors, basically saying, "Hey guys, like, don't take me for a fool. I'm no fool, and I'm not going to let you get away with this." And uh, so it's really, really just astonished. It's just the the drama here. As I always say, fact is crazier than fiction. And like I said, one month to sort it all out. We will keep an eye on all of that. Hillary Clinton blames the extreme heat cuz the the supposedly there's a lot of extreme heat it's amazing cuz when there's extreme cold and and pe- pe- we we say hey look at the extreme cold right it's like uh what happened to the global warming what happened to climate change because there's like deep freezing temperatures all over the all over the country, all over the world. And what do they always say back? No, 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 no. That's the weather, not the climate, right? If The, the difference is the, the climate is like the trend, the global trend. The weather is like, well, in this spot it's cold, that spot it's cold. But like when there are places that hit 120, 130 degree heat and extreme temperatures in in in, in heat, not cold, oh, well, look at that. Climate change, global warming, it's Republicans' fault, it's Trump's fault that uh, the, 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 there's massive record-breaking Temperatures. Well, how come there it's not the weather? How come there it's the climate? But when it's cold, it's the weather, right? But either way, the point is that there's extreme heat and Hillary Clinton, they're blaming the Republicans. And Hillary took it a step further. She's blaming MAGA. Hillary Clinton literally said, well, the extreme heat is the fault of the MAGA Republicans. What do the MAGA Republicans do to cause extreme heat? I mean, Trump, by the way, any, 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 uh, policy that Trump had affecting the climate, like Trump was president, like, Four years ago. You really think that any of his policies, I understood, he took, uh, you know, he he started his presidency in 2017. So what's that? Six years ago. You really think he was able to do so much damage that he could cause like global temperatures to rise noticeably, like to record heights because of Trump? Because what? He... He, he he rolled back a couple of uh fossil fuel restrictions on these companies these these insane restrictions that like forced these oil companies and these other companies to lose a lot of money and then turn it over to the consumers because Trump actually rolled back a couple of those very very tough Obama climate restrictions and uh you know the bogus one he pulled out of that deal that climate that the the that, that accord the climate accord which gave China and India a huge competitive advantage over America because they don't stick to the rules, and we do. So Trump decided to roll those things back and, and and rescind some of those moves, which was great for American prosperity. And that somehow caused extreme temperatures. Trust me, Bill Clinton's policies for eight years did a whole lot more damage to the climate. If you even believe in their science, I mean, MAGA Republicans did nothing. Remember, like like uh, 2017, 2018, there were these crazy hurricanes. Which, by the way, it turns out those are actually a result of stopping fossil fuels. Those are actually a result of climate. We've told you this before. And this is this is according to scientists. This is according to a lot of research that taking pollutants out of the air, the pollutants actually prevented hurricanes and severe weather, believe it or not. So taking the pollutants out of the air actually caused more severe weather. But putting that aside, like they were blaming 2018 severe weather and hurricanes on Trump policies. Like, give me a break. You think it happened that fast? Right. And blaming the wildfires on Trump. Um So anyway, really interesting. All right. New poll, as I said shows that Trump is crushing everybody on the left, down on the right, Republicans and Democrats. This is a Harvard Harris poll and uh, President Trump is at 52 percent in this poll. Ron DeSantis in second place at a distant 12 percent. So Trump leading Harvard Harris. Oh, oh, they're not exactly pro-Trumpers, right? They're not exactly pro-Republican in general. But Harvard-Harris shows Trump with a 40-point lead. So even if you want to tell me they're 10 points off and he only has a 30-point lead, I mean, Trump is dominating like nobody could have ever imagined. And of course, who's in third place? Very tight with DeSantis, neck and neck, Vivek Ramaswani. If the election were held today, uh, the general election, Trump versus Biden, this poll has Trump leading Biden 45 to 40 percent. So Trump is beating Biden by a heavy margin. And Trump against Kamala Harris, what a joke! Trump would it would beat Kamala according to this poll, forty seven percent to thirty eight percent. And by the way, a very nice sign, something very very positive um, uh, result out of this poll that I liked was that Trump I- I- among independent voters, Trump has an eighteen point lead over Joe Biden among independents. Eighteen point lead. We know independent swing voters; those are the ones who usually, you know, Trump has his Republican base. They are pretty loyal. Not every Republican, but most, would vote for Trump easily. Obviously, a lot of Democrats would not. Trump has a limit, or any Republican candidate has a limit to the amount of Democrats. So it's going to be the independents. Trump has an 18-point lead among independents over Biden. That's big. All right, let's talk about Israel. And like I said, the media is reporting that Israel is on the brink of civil war, and they're blowing it. And look, you have probably George Soros, who's funding a lot of these protests. You do have mass protests on both sides, by the way. The media is blowing this way out of proportion, okay? And as a result, and they're doing this, it's a tactic. It's a vicious tactic because they want to hurt Netanyahu. They want to push him out, right? So what happened was, as a result of these bogus media reports, because Israel's not on the brink of civil war. Yes, there are protests. That happened sometime. There were BLM riots in America a few years ago. Okay? Was the country on the brink of civil war? It certainly looked bad. It certainly was, was, was ugly. It certainly was unpleasant. It was a very dark time. The pictures in the in, in the newspapers every day and on the news were devastating. They were horrific. By the way, they were people on the left and they were Antifa. But uh, the, the country wasn't falling apart. And, uh, and of course, the media never said the country was falling apart because that wouldn't have helped their narrative. But in Israel, when N- Netanyahu, who they claim is some fanatical right winger, he's not. He's, he's, he's an extremely—he's he's, he's pretty moderate. And the judicial reform is like something that virtually everybody supported— until uh, Netanyahu adopted it, and then suddenly they view it as some kind of like right-wing extremist position. It's not. It's not extremist at all. Judicial reform is the least controversial piece of legislation you could imagine, as, and, and I'll explain some more of it soon. But basically, the judiciary, Ben Shapiro said it very well, the judiciary in Israel, the Supreme Court in Israel has a monopoly. They have a dictatorship. They can overturn and veto veto power any bill they don't like They just have to call it unreasonable. They don't need any legal basis. They don't need. There's no constitution in Israel, so it's just on their whims, on their personal feeling, their personal emotions. Imagine if the Supreme Court in America, which right now is pretty conservative, imagine they could just overturn any bill they don't like, uh, any executive order by Joe Biden, any congressional legislation because they don't like it, they find it unreasonable. Don't have to give any legal basis. They don't have to have constitutional backing, and they don't even have to have anybody file a lawsuit with standing. Boom, we don't like it. It's overturned. It's insane. It's an insane, insane system, and nobody would. Stanford in America. But, um, and now Moody's, Moody's lowered Israel's credit rating because of the media's fake report that Israel's on the brink of collapse, which it's not. And like I said, Israel, the Israeli government is more stable than it's been in four or five years. Remember, every few months they they, they, they were literally hanging, dangling by a thread. Every few months, there'd be like one, the, a one Knesset member majority. So every few months they'd be able, you know, one Knesset member would defect, or would decide that they no longer are voting with their, uh, you know, whoever's leading the legislature, whoever's leading the Knesset, you know, whichever party was in charge, and that would be it. They'd call snap elections, and they'd have elections again. And remember, then they couldn't form a government, a new round of elections, another round of elections. It was a circus. And now Netanyahu has managed to solidify a very, very solid lead. Look, I'm not saying it's the biggest. I'm not saying that they're ahead by 20 Seats in the Knesset, but they have a the most solid majority, the most stable majority that have been they've been around in years, and the, and the media is trying to tell us, and that's why that is why the media the, the left is so threatened in Israel because they know Netanyahu finally figured it out and finally has you know uh, uh, a an, an insurmountable basically stronghold over the Knesset, and Ben Shapiro made great points about what they call the reasonable reasonableness bill, reasonability bill, or reasonableness bill which this there's a few different aspects of the judicial reform, and I'll probably wait till the end of the show to go through in more depth, go through it in more depth. Some have asked for it, but the, the first round that passed, the first piece of legislation that already passed the Knesset is so basic, they basically took away what I just said earlier, the power of the Israeli Supreme Court to overturn any bill, any Knesset legislation, any bill passed by the Knesset that they don't like, simply because they feel it's unreasonable and they don't have to have any legal basis. It's based on their gut instinct. The Supreme Court, which is very leftist in, in Israel, and they get to reappoint, by the way. They have to sign off on the people who are appointed to replace them. Which is absurd, the knesset can 't decide who they want to replace the judiciary unless the, the 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 judges sign off on it, so the court gets to replace itself, so it 's self fulfilling they 're a bunch of radical leftists and they and they keep, they get to retain control and can never be overturned, even if the knesset is heavily right wing it 's nuts so and, and that leftist supreme Court, a bunch of radicals, all they do is they just overturn any knesset bill they don 't like well what 's your legal basis? My gut instinct i just i decided it's unreasonable, so they passed the reasonable bill, reasonableness bill, which essentially says that that you can't do that. You cannot just overturn. There has to be standing. There has to be legal basis. It actually has to have like a, a legal reason that it's illegal. Like like you can't just like decide, well, I don't like this bill. It's too right wing for me. So therefore, I'm going to overturn it. Ben Shapiro said, um, quote, he said the bill passed in, in Israel means the Supreme Court of Israel cannot simply overturn any executive or administrative action on the basis of Reasonableness, imagine the President of the United States issued an executive order. The Supreme Court did not determine whether it was inside the authority of the President. They just determined whether it was reasonable. You can see how this would be a problem because this means Supreme Court is basically a dictatorship. They now get to use their own judgment of what 's reasonable to substitute for an elected person or an elected body 's judgment for what 's reasonable, which makes them not a court. It makes them an actual legislature that is not elected end quote that 's a great quote from Ben shapiro he, what he's what he 's saying is imagine if like the the Supreme Court has a right to overturn executive orders and overturn uh pieces of legislation we see that all the time right but they can only do that if there's a constitutional basis they can't do it because of how reasonable it is they can only do it because it does not jive with the constitution or or, or they can decide the pre- the president overstepped his authority right like with the vaccine mandates right or they can decide congress overstepped their authority fine but they they can't just decide well you know we don't we don't like this this doesn't fit with us this, we don't this, this doesn't uh doesn't suit, it doesn't resonate with me so i'm going to overturn the bill that, 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 that's absurd. And if it was happening in America, the Democrats would be the first to be supportive of it. But now, you know, in Biden, I mentioned this the other day. Joe Biden, the White House issued a statement saying that they were disappointed that the reasonableness bill passed the Knesset with, because it passed by such a slim majority. Slim majority. It was basically 64 to zero because the, the 56 members of the left wing members of the Knesset, they abstained in protest. So it's 56 to zero. That's a, that's a wide margin. But, Biden called it a slim margin because it's 64 versus 56. I get it, 64 to 56. If you do the math, it's not exactly a huge majority, but it's it's a much bigger margin. The, the House of Representatives has 435 members. The Senate has 120. So if you do the math, it, like any bill that Biden has ever signed into law, any, any bill that passed the House in the last 20, 25 years by the Democrats, including the Inflation Reduction Act, which 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 increases inflation, and including Obamacare, and you name it, any Democrat bill last 25, 30 years passed by a slimmer majority. And since when does that matter? Oh, it's a slim majority. Oh, so then you shouldn't pass it. And and since when do the Democrats care about that? But by the way, a a, you know what a slim majority is called? It's called a majority, okay? Majority. And and you're not going to get better than that because these issues are so incredibly divisive in America, in Israel, Republican, Democrat, I don't care. And that's why you have the rule majority rules, okay? Except in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, we have a filibuster. So it's like absurd. Biden suddenly cares about a slim majority when like it's complete hypocrisy. All right, uh, Ron DeSantis. I told you his campaign is imploding. I like Ron DeSantis, and I think he has a, a, a big future. You know, this is only the beginning of his uh, uh, of his political career. In a certain sense, like he's still quite young, and he he could, you know, we have twenty twenty eight. We ha- and look, I'm not counting. Well, you're counting him out. It's only July of twenty twenty three. Things can happen. Look at what Trump was in July of twenty fifteen. You'd be pretty shocked although DeSantis has been uh, you know a, a much bigger part of the race than Trump was at that time if you look back at the time in 2015 Trump had just announced but i don't care the point is that anything can happen it is way too premature for us to be counting anybody out and DeSantis is a strong candidate he's still number 2 yeah he's a very distant second i mean distant is not the word it's like it, you know it's like trump is uh the, the, the thousands of uh, light years ahead of him but things can happen, you know uh, what if Trump stops getting indicted? What if DeSantis gets indicted like seven times then he'll then he'll jump way ahead, he'll surge way ahead of Trump, but uh either way, uh, here's what's happening why Why does DeSantis need to reboot you have you have Vivek Ramaswani, who's surging in the polls. He's basically caught up to DeSantis, he's clearly number third, okay, Mike Pence has been around forever. Chris Christie has been around forever. uh, who else Tim Scott relatively new to the party, but he's a senator, he's very well known. And then Vivek Ramaswamy out of nowhere, okay? And yet DeSantis needs to reboot. Why? Remember, Beto O'Rourke need, needing to reboot because there's a big difference. And, you know, we'll read you more about Vivek Ramaswamy here coming up a little bit later. But uh, he's real. He's not afraid. He doesn't take polls every time he gives a speech to see if, you know, what what, what the, whether people are going to like it or not, whether, whether voters are receptive to it or not. He's not afraid to say abolish the FBI, okay? Mike Pence, Tim Scott, these people... They want to get invited back to the country club in Washington, D.C. You know what I mean? They, they, they're afraid to say anything radical. People want radical. They crave it. They want somebody who's going to have the courage, have the guts to take down the swamp, to, 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 to defund the FBI and abolish it, if need be, to abolish the Department of Education. Vivek Ramaswani wants to do those things. They want somebody who's going to actually say the election is rigged and the election was rigged instead of being afraid. Well, it's going to alienate people. I'm not going to be invited onto the TV shows if I do that. Meet the press won't have me back. The country club is going to ban me if if, if I say the election was rigged, the election was stolen. So that's why people like Vivek, because Vivek is not afraid to tell the truth. Voters are too smart. They understand what's going on. And they don't want somebody who's fake or somebody who's shallow or somebody who's like afraid to be straight and to tell the truth, that, that, that's why Vivek and, and and Ron DeSantis much more than any other candidate is a straight talker, and he's not afraid. He fired that woke DA, and he's taken on Disney, and he's taken on the woke left, the Department of Education, in in, in Florida, trying to indoctrinate kids with all sorts of immorality. So I'm not saying DeSantis. You know, he he's got these strengths, but people perceive Vivek Ramaswani as a, a Trump without the negatives, and that's how he is framing himself, and and it's in, it's ingenious so far. Uh, All right. One of the people who purchased, we mentioned this, but let me just get into this again for a moment. One of the people who purchased a Hunter Biden painting, Hunter Picasso. Okay, I don't think we should call him Hunter Biden. He's Hunter Picasso. And as I mentioned once, if you look at a Hunter Biden painting, I mean, the guy has sold his paintings for a total of one point three million dollars, one point three million dollars Hunter Biden artwork. Now, you tell me, how can you not how can you possibly dismiss and minimize his incredible, his immense talents as an artist. Now, you're going to be cynical and say, maybe they're just buying influence. Maybe they just want a one-way ticket. They want a, a free ticket uh, access to Biden and the White House, Joe Biden. No, you, you're so, how could you be so skeptical, so cynical? Don't you know that they're keeping the anonymity very secure? They don't know who these, who these buyers are, which makes it such an, a staggering coincidence that one of the people who purchased a Hunter Biden painting has been appointed to a prestigious position in the Biden administration. It's a crazy coincidence. So Hunter Picasso, and if you look at a Hunter Biden painting, like, like I did, and you say, scratch your head and say, this doesn't look like a great piece of art. I wouldn't spend half a million bucks on this thing. This is a piece of garbage. There's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the painting. You clearly are not an art connoisseur. You have no taste in art. Okay, but, uh, it, it, what a coincidence, because they're not disclosing the names of the buyers, and yet this woman, what's her name? Elizabeth Hirschnaftalli in, L.A. buys a Hunter Biden painting, and then a few months later, she gets appointed to a to a prestigious post. Some the the preservation, the heritage preservation, the foreign heritage preservation, something or other. I I, I have it somewhere here. Uh, it's um look bottom line, it's not a position that you are uh, that I would ever want to be appointed to. It's who who needs it? Let's see here. Um, a, a, the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad, Elizabeth Hirschnoff Tully was appointed. To the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad, and she spent lots of money. We don't know how much, hasn't been disclosed, but she spent lots of money to buy a Hunter Biden painting. What a coincidence. I mean, there's 300 million people in the country, and they don't, they don't reveal who, uh, supposedly, they don't reveal who, at least that's what the White House claims, who the Hunter Biden artwork buyers are, and yet Biden just miraculously appointed her. She hit the jackpot. I mean, it's, it's, it's a silly, who wants to be on that, that, that board, whatever that commission is. But obviously she wanted to be on it. And uh, amazing that she buys a Hunter Biden painting and then several months later, by pure sheer coincidence, gets appointed to this board, uh, this commission. All right, NBC News. I have to read you some excerpts here from this article, this story, which is entitled, quote, Note Cards and Shorter Stairs, How Biden's Campaign is Addressing His Age. So uh, I'm just going to read you some of these lines here directly. Quote, When the president is 80 years old and already faces concerns that he's too old for another term, it's something of a crisis. You think? Joe Biden's aides realized they had a problem last month when the president tripped over a sandbag hard at the Air Force Academy's graduation ceremony. Afterward, a few aides tried to figure out what may have gone wrong and how to make sure that such an embarrassing and dangerous incident never happens again. This is NBC News. Afterward, a few aides tried to figure out what may have gone wrong. What may have gone wrong... He tripped over a sandbag. What may have gone wrong is that he's 80 and he falls down. And maybe a lot of people his age do, especially in his mental state. And by the way, I don't mean to mock. I don't mean to diminish. I I like almost avoid this conversation because it's so cringeworthy. But it needs to be addressed. Okay. It's a very sad. They're exploiting the man. Okay. It, it, It is elder abuse. What they're doing to Joe Biden is elder abuse. Put him somewhere, you know, let him have some daisies and a golf course and let the man just live in peace, just live out the years, you know, watching the sunset every day. Okay, instead of exploiting and abusing this elderly individual. But I love how we're trying to figure out what, what went wrong. Let's see. The president tripped again. He trips all the time. What went wrong? Well, maybe what went wrong is that he's 80 and he's the president. Quote, uh, back to the story. Biden's answer to voters who question whether he's up to the rigors of a second term is simple. Watch me. The trouble is voters are watching and what they're seeing is hardening impressions. It's time for him to step aside. Apart from being the most taxing job in the world stage, the presidency is also the most public. Signs of his advancing age are hard to miss. Apparently, anyone paying attention is that the Biden they may remember from the Robert Bore. All right, whatever. The, the old Biden is different than the new Biden. No kidding. His gait is less steady. His speech is not as fluid. He has confused Iraq with Ukraine and Rolling Fork, Mississippi with Rolling Stone. One congressional Democrat said, quote, the Democrat Party needs to be responsive to what people are saying about Biden and their concerns about his age. The number of text messages I got after the president fell, my phone was blowing up. People are like, oh, this is so bad. Uh, faced with life's unbending reality that no one gets any younger, Biden's advisors have been trying to blunt concerns about his age since his 2020 campaign. The challenge get, challenge gets trickier by the day. As the oldest president in history embarks on one last race against the Republican Party, eager to pounce on every miscue, any misstep is bound to be magnified when voters are already prone to believe Biden should consider retirement. It's unbelievable. And uh, let's see here. There's a quote here from uh, a Western diplomat, uh, anonymous Western diplomat. Quote, physically he's quite frail and he falls off his bicycle or whatever. He doesn't have the same stamina levels of Obama or a younger president. People worry about his physical frailty. Um, this, that is, he's going to be going from 82 to 86 in the second term. That's really old by European standards, really, really old. We don't have anyone that age and NBC, they keep trying to like minimize this quote, an iconic image of the modern presidency is the president walking up the stairs to a majestic air force one and then turning at the doorway and waving more and more Biden is foregoing the long staircase for the shorter staircase that takes him up through the plane's belly. And they say the white house did not directly answer whether Biden is using the shorter staircase to minimize the chance of a fall. Well, gee, let's figure this out here. He 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 has tripped going up the stairs to Air Force One so many times. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's just cringeworthy. And now he's going up the shorter staircase, but we don't know exactly if that's the reason why. And then other measures, extra large font on his teleprompter, note cards to remind him of the points he wants to make in meetings. And the, the NBC News, they keep saying like, well, the staffers are trying to come up with workarounds like, yeah, you know, he's he's tripping a little more than he should be. And it looks bad to vote. They're almost like and by the way, like I said many times, this is like number 20 on the list, like his age. I mean, inflation, the border, Iran's developing a nuke, Ukraine, Russia, Putin, China. I mean, there's just so much going on. And China's spying on us and doing who knows what kind of damage to us. And uh, like, like so I don't even care. The age is the least of my worries. But It's always like the same narrative, like, well, it looks bad to voters. Well, his staffers need to figure out better work around like he is too old and too cognitively impaired to be the president of the United States. Okay, and if he was 50, by the way, if he was 50 and he was this cognitively impaired, he could not he would not be fit to be president of the United States. Get him out. Get him out. And by the way, I think that's what's happening here. I think Gavin Newsom is going to be the the, the nominee. And uh, it's very curious because RFK is gaining on Biden in the polls. And that's threatening a lot of Democrats because they want it to be very clear. If Biden drops out of the race, they want a Gavin Newsom or they want to be able to control who, you know, they want somebody who they consider a strong, strong, strong Democrat. I think Democrats are more than willing to have Biden impeached to get him thrown under the bus. If Kevin McCarthy ends up impeaching Biden and he's hinted that there's going to be impeachment inquiry, but like I'm still not holding my breath. But if it happens, it's going to happen with a wink, wink, with a wink and a nod from the Democrat Party, because I don't think Kevin McCarthy and I like Kevin McCarthy, but I don't think that he has the courage to impeach Biden unless he knows that the Democrats in the media will kind of quietly. Yeah, they'll you know, they'll protest, but quietly they will kind of give their nod of approval. And the reason is because they view Biden as a huge, huge liability. All right. Um what else? Yeah, so Devin Archer, he's going to give damaging testimony. He basically said that Hunter Biden, he you know, he totally uh totally debunks the bogus narrative, the lies Biden has told the lie numerous times, Joe Biden. I've never discussed my business dealings with Hunter Biden with Hunter. And there are there's so much evidence and witness testimony and this guy Devin Archer, Tony Bobolinsky, that Joe Biden was on speed dial. That Hunter Biden could be sitting there with a bunch of Burisma executives or sitting there with Chinese energy executives. And literally, hey, you want to talk to my father and get his father on the phone, and his father would be sitting there in a conference call with Hunter and with a bunch of Chinese executives, Burisma executives, who knows what else. So it's a lie that he says. He not only did he did he discuss allegedly discuss business dealings with Hunter Biden, but like Joe Biden was paid probably millions of dollars by foreign entities, by foreign businesses to buy influence with Joe Biden as a VP. And Devin Archer is going to testify to this, and you have all these whistleblowers who are saying that this whole thing is a massive cover-up. And by the way, remember that we told you about Hunter sending a text message uh, threatening a Chinese executive, Chinese energy executive from the CEFC company, and he said he was with his father. In the text, he said he's with his father. Now, we, we, that's not proof he was with his father because he might have been lying. You know, w- would you ever suspect Hunter Biden? Such an upstanding citizen. You know, he, he's just such a... He, he, he's such a man of conscience. He, he's so moral, moral, upstanding person. Would you ever suspect him of lying? Well, maybe, maybe he lied in the text message, but they actually have been able, they actually have confirmed that he was with his father. He was he was taking joyrides in Joe Biden's Corvette. Remember that Corvette that was in the garage with the classified documents? So Hunter Biden was actually taking joyrides that same day that he was texting the Chinese executive saying, hey, give us our money, pay up, and my father's not happy and uh, hinting that his father was there. Well, he was actually with his father that day, at least in the same house in the same city. Uh, And yet, and Karim Jean-Pierre, she has suddenly shifted the narrative, which tells you everything you need to know. Joe Biden, why did he keep saying he never had a conversation with Hunter about his business dealings? Because he knows, he knows how dirty it is. He knows how corrupt it is for the vice president of the United States at the time to be having conversations about business dealings with Hunter and China, Hunter and Ukraine, Hunter and Russia. I mean, it's as corrupt, the Biden crime family, as corrupt as anything we can imagine, the most corrupt politician in history, if, if a fraction of these stories are true. That's why Joe Biden kept an denying it. Well, now Karine Jean-Pierre, she mysteriously shifted it. She used to say, or they used to say, Joe Biden never had, never discussed his business dealings with Hunter. Now she said, uh, Joe Biden never had business dealings with Hunter. Why the shift? Because now there is ample evidence, irrefutable evidence, that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden discussed business dealings on numerous occasions. All right, so let's get into the um, Israeli uh, judiciary reform here. You know, Justice Minister Yariv Levin, he was defending the reasonableness bill. And he said, quote, he said that reasonableness is a worldview, not a legal matter. He said, judges want to decide what's reasonable, what's not, instead of the people chosen by the nation. How is that reasonable? And he said, who even said that what's reasonable in the eyes of the judges is the logical thing to do? Who decided their personal positions are better than those of the ministers who were who appoint- who you know, who were voted in by the people? And uh, oh, Vivek Ramoswani. All right, we'll get back to Vivek Ramaswani at the end. But I just wanted to talk about uh, Israeli judiciary. So I mentioned this a few months ago, but I'll go through it again. Nat Lewin, Nathan Lewin. One of the most brilliant legal minds that you will ever hear, or you will ever read about. Uh, he's 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 um, fought before the argued before the Supreme Court many many times in America. So he basically said that um, there's nothing at all. Twenty eight times he fought he challenged he uh, argued in front of the Supreme Court the U S Supreme Court. He said that the woke left in Israel is the minority, but they have immense power, a totally imbalanced uh, level of power. Because the Supreme Court has so much control, and that allows a small number of people, tiny number of people, to overturn the will of millions of voters. The four main issues in Israeli judiciary reform, this election of judges, replacement judges, the public disclosure of candidates for new judges, limitations on justiciability, as he calls it, we'll get to that, and limitations on standing. And all those are already in place in the U.S. justice system. So really, all they want to do is judiciary reform is mimic what's already in place in the United States. And yet, this is somehow some kind of like radical move that's going d- dis- to destroy the country, destroy Israel. So he says, "quote In the U.S., it's well established a plaintiff needs to have standing to be able to bring a case in court, and certainly before the Supreme Court. Um, for example, an organization cannot come to U.S. Supreme Court wanting to throw out Congressman George Santos for defrauding voters. But in Israel, three organizations can go to the Supreme Court." and get Aryeh Deri removed as a minister. They had no standing. they It's just anybody can come to court and just bring any kind of lawsuit they want. That's unheard of. And he said, justiciability. He said, what can the courts consider? In the United States, there's a political question doctrine. Political questions are not justiciable. In other words, they can't decide political questions. They can only decide legal questions. So if the prime minister decides Aryeh Deri should be a minister, no U.S. court could ever say that it's unreasonable and you have to toss him out. The, a U.S. court can't say, you know what, we don't like the Secretary of Transportation, so you got to push him out. But judges in Israel can do that. It's absurd. And then selection power. He said that in Israel, you know, there is no separation of powers. In America, a judge can't decide who's going to be a new judge, who's going to be a replacement, as we know, S- because then the judges are self pep- self-perpetuating. But Israeli judges have veto power, so they can veto any judge that they don't like. So they're obviously only going to replace people that they approve of, which in this case is big leftists. And, and basically, Nat Lewin said that it's all BB derangement syndrome. The whole the controversy here has nothing to do, the policies are good policies. People on the left supported these policies until BB adopted them, and it's all about BB derangement syndrome. All right, Vivek Ramaswani, he's a big capitalist. Um, by the way, he does not like DeSantis, but he's very pro-Trump. Like I said, he you know he wants to abolish the Department of Education. He hates abolish the Department of Education. What other candidate besides somebody like Trump would would say that? And that's why people love Vivek so much. One of the big reasons he opposes affirmative action. He wants to stop funding for Ukraine. He's a Reagan Trump conservative, and he's ubiquitous. That and that strategy is great because he he'll go on CNN. He'll go on MSNBC. He will debate anybody. He's not afraid of leftist interviewers asking him gotcha questions. Just like Trump. He will literally, he has nothing to hide. Come and get me. I'll answer any question, any time. And that's what people love, you know. And uh, and like I said, he doesn't feel the need to be invited to country clubs in Washington, D.C. So he's like not afraid to speak his mind. And it's so refreshing. And we'll see. Look, uh, only time will tell. And who knows if there's skeletons in the closet. Trust me. It, the day he starts to surge too high in the polls, the media will look for anything they can find, and everybody's got some baggage. You know, so we're going to wait and see. But, hey, maybe he gets indicted a couple of times, and then, uh, you know, he, he, who knows how, how how far he can surge. All right, we went long today. I hope you didn't mind. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.